Uh, welcome to pastor's class for the fall of 2019. It's good to see you all here tonight as we get kicked off uh, for the fall. And so as a part of that, uh, I do want to mention what we're studying before we jump in tonight. Uh, this, these next few weeks, we'll be walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. We're walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. So a couple things about that. First of all, uh, we use a commentary. I would say it's an easily read commentary. Sometimes you pick up a commentary, they're fairly dry. But we use a commentary called Christ-Centered Exposition is the name of the series. And this one's on Ecclesiastes. And so uh, if you'd like to follow along with us, we'll be walking through each chapter. We will talk through each week. And so a lot of times... We'll use the outline or some of the information from that chapter to guide our time. Sometimes we won't. Uh, but we'll, you, we'll always do the verses that the chapter outlines each week. So we'll actually start this book next week. So if you've already read chapter 1, glad you're here. But tonight will be an introduction. And we'll do a little bit of a prep leading up to the book. And then the pastor will be with us next Wednesday. And he'll be speaking more specifically about uh, this uh, chapter 1 and get us into the book. So tonight will serve as an introduction, a bit of a run-up for us to look at how to approach this book, because uh, in many ways, I, I was trying to think about this, how often have you heard somebody teach through the book of Ecclesiastes in your lifetime? And uh, preparing today, I realized a little bit of why you probably haven't heard somebody teach through the book of Ecclesiastes. In fact, I was looking at the schedule and I thought, as I was reading through it, and the sometimes depressing nature of some of the information, I thought a few weeks from now we have a class on anxiety and depression that's going to start up, and so we might just funnel everybody out of here right into that class uh, from Ecclesiastes. So uh, it, it does deal with some very, re very real things for uh, life, and so it speaks from a, a real emotive part of the heart. It actually speaks about things that deal with everyday life, and so that'll be a part of what we engage with in the book of Ecclesiastes. So hopefully you pick up, pick up the book. Uh, it's available in our bookstore as well as you can find these online. Uh, but Christ-Centered Exposition, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. So there's a little bit about what we're studying there. And so we'll be walking through that pretty much most of the fall. At the very end, we'll do a little something different because uh, it won't take us all the way through Christmas. But this will be for the fall semester. We'll be in the book of Ecclesiastes. Because I know many, many of you, uh, particularly for this book, uh, have a lot of questions. I've already heard about it before we started. So uh, this should be a good study as we prepare and to walk through these pages. I'd like to take just a moment. I know that John's already prayed for us, uh, but I do feel like on, for, for some reason to me, Wednesdays are a busy day and trying to come into church. I'd like to take just a moment in prayer and honestly, just to give you guys about 30 seconds just to sit there and pray. And you probably, I feel pretty confidently, have something that has gone on in your life today that you may not have prayed enough about yet or maybe not prayed at all about it. So I'd like to give us a moment in the hectic part of the day just to take a breath and to take whatever's going on in your life to the Lord. So just take about 30 seconds right now and let's just pause and take whatever you're dealing with to the Lord. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we ask that you would forgive us for the times that we we act in some form of self-sufficiency and pride and don't run to you with our issues and our challenges. Lord, forgive us for struggling and worrying and fighting against parts of our lives when we should run to you first. So Lord, in these moments we bring our requests to you. Things that concern us and things that burdens we carry. Maybe burdens that we carry for other people right now. We're thinking of someone else that's walking a difficult road. So we lift tonight up those who are in the path of this hurricane. We pray that you would protect them from particularly flooding, Lord. We pray for the first responders that will be there to care, to reach people as they are in danger. Lord, we pray you would protect them as well. Lord, we thank you for turning this hurricane away. We see that as your provision and kindness. And Lord, we pray you would continue to push it away from the coast and protect people. Lord, we also pray for our brother Melvin Williams who faces heart surgery tomorrow. That, Lord, as he faces these moments, we pray you would give him great peace. And Lord, I pray that you would also be with the doctors tomorrow for everything to go smooth, strengthen him, help his recovery to be strong and quick. Lord, we thank you for our kids and our students who are tonight hearing the Bible taught, memorizing the Bible, and starting this year with an Awana. Lord, we pray that as they hear the Word and memorize the Word, that you would plant it in their hearts, that it might take root, might open the eyes of some to be saved, and for those children that are believers, that it might turn their hearts more towards you. And Lord, now as we study your Word, as we take these few moments to learn about how we might approach your Word, May it be useful, encouraging, and helpful to all of us. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so here's what I'd like to do tonight. I've done this before. If you've been doing these book studies with us for a while, uh, what I'll do before we jump in is try to take a step back from the book before we even start reading Scripture and help you think about how you would approach a particular book of the Bible. Uh, when we did First, Second Timothy and Titus, I took a step back and talked about how they all fit together, what made them unique, how we might approach them. In particular, Ecclesiastes is a challenge because it's a unique book, different than a lot of what you may be used to reading. Uh, many of you may have read it multiple times and still not completely understand the purpose of it. For me, I, I remember, I've, I think I've shared this before, so forgive me if I repeat it, but when I was in high school, I was 15 years old. And I grew up in church, but I didn't grow up in a church that really challenged me spiritually. Nobody was there challenging me with the gospel, really, or even challenging me to read my Bible. And so I was 15 years old, and I don't think anybody, if somebody had pushed me to have a quiet time, I certainly wasn't listening. Uh, but I, I don't remember being challenged to sit down and read my Bible every day. And in particular, I'd gone on this mission trip, Lord got, Lord got a hold of my heart, and I was like, okay, God, I'm ready to... Do, I want to do the, you know, a lot for you. I'm ready to go. I was all excited, so I come home. Uh, I was like, well, i got to start reading my Bible every day. So I, st I started reading like chapters a day, and I'm 15 at the time, and I wasn't reading anything. So for me to be reading chapters a day was a big deal. And so I, I get out my Bible, and at the first book of the Bible, from front to back, I read, somehow, I picked Ecclesiastes. <laughs> 
And I had no idea what I was reading, right? And so when you approach a book like this, uh, hopefully what I want to take the next few minutes and do is give you an overview picture. Because uh, starting next week, we're going to jump right into the first few verses and the last few verses. And from that point on, we're going to be taking section by section. But tonight I want to talk a little bit about how you approach particularly that type of literature. And at the same time, maybe a look at the whole book. So we're going to start real high and then we'll move our way in. So the first uh, point there you have on your paper is the biblical order. The order of the Bible. In particular, I want to talk about where it fits in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it's not all divided in chronological order. It's not as if it begins with Genesis and ends uh, with Malachi, and then it's, everything is exactly in order in between. It, it's ordered by genre of book. And I'm going to talk more about this in a minute, but I think oftentimes we underestimate, and I know maybe if you don't really love English and you might say, he just said genre, I'm tuning out. But if you want to learn your Bible, you underestimate the level at which understanding the genre will actually help you read it. Because you're understanding what you're reading. And so the, as, they, as the canon got organized, as the Old Testament's laid out, it was actually laid out where you had historical books, and then, you know, you go from Genesis pretty much all the way up into Esther. You really have a run of history. It's not perfect or exact, but generally you're working your way through history. But then you get to what we would know as the wisdom books or the wisdom literature. And so these are held in the middle. You, you, you would think of Psalms and Proverbs in this. Those naturally come to mind when you think of wisdom. Ecclesiastes falls in there. Song of Solomon the one that you may not have always thought of this way is the book of Job. Job, mostly what you know about it are the first couple chapters and the last five. But in the middle of it, 30-some chapters are devoted to this discourse arguing what was wrong with Job. And so you really end up, Job is majority, this kind of wisdom literature. It's not necessarily narrative. It's about what, what's happening with Job. So I say all that to get to this point, is within these wisdom books are these three books, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs is a practical book of wisdom, short sayings to live by. We're going to talk a little bit about the genre of Proverbs because it's going to connect a little bit with Ecclesiastes. Song of Solomon is a collection of love poems that are written between a man and a woman, celebrating the relationship God intended for them to have. And so you have... These two books, and so here's what I'm going to deal a little bit with here in a moment, in particularly the author, because Solomon, being the author of Proverbs and Song of Solomon, because in the very first verse of both of them, it says Solomon's name. It identifies the book with him. Ecclesiastes is in the middle of those two. Proverbs, Song of Solomon, right in the middle of these two books is Ecclesiastes. So let's talk a little bit about the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, uh, as I was doing more study this week, and as I'd kind of heard before, uh, there is a little bit of debate about the author of Ecclesiastes. Most of you would think, naturally, you go right to Solomon. It feels Solomon-like. But I, I want to just at least open the debate for a moment. 
and show you a little bit of both sides. Here's what I'll, I'll say this to land at the very end. The book that you're reading says that Solomon is the author of it. I think there are other solid Christian authors that say we don't know if Solomon was the author. Either one, I would say, would be fine. But it wasn't as certain as you maybe have always thought it to be. Here's why. Solomon introduces himself by name in the other ones. In this book, if you have your, if you have your Bible there, in Ecclesiastes 1, if you want to look at it, it says the words of the preacher, but it doesn't say Solomon. It says the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, naturally, Solomon is the son of David, and he is a king in Jerusalem. A little bit of the challenge is there's a lot of people that claim the lineage of David, and a lot of them fall in the line of king. So it's not a one-to-one definite that this has to be Solomon. It does seem natural, though. Some people will argue uh, that in, let's take, uh, for those that say Solomon's not the author, uh, there's a few different pieces that build to that puzzle. First one is, it's not clear in the first verse. The second one is, they'll say the Hebrew language that's used in here is not parallel to the time of the 10th century. That what would be used or said, uh, the type of Hebrew language would have been used would be parallel. Uh, one sixteen. Here's another reason they would say, chapter one, verse sixteen. He says, "I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me." So it sounds like there were a lot of kings before this guy, but really before Solomon, there weren't that many kings. So the argument would be that there, he's saying there were a lot of kings before him when actually there weren't that many. And then there'll be some times where he talks a lot about suffering and how terrible things are happening in the kingdom, and really, in Solomon's reign, everything went pretty well. I give that statement just to say that Solomon either wrote it, or I would say Solomon was in mind with whoever did write it. Because there is a connection to Solomon through it all. Even if somebody says he didn't write it, I think that whoever was writing it was thinking, this is a lot of what Solomon should have learned in the lessons of life. So, all that just to say, uh, as you approach it, uh, Solomon could have been the author, or could not have been. Let's talk a little bit about context. What was, uh, what was going on uh, around this? So, in other words, like, these would be, I guess here's what I'm trying to get at. These are helpful, those are bigger picture, author, I want to drive a little further at how to read this. And what I mean by this is context is going to be king in the book of Ecclesiastes. Let me give a good example here. Let's just read chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. I'm not intending to teach it right now. We'll talk more in depth about all this next week. I just want to do a quick reading. It says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, Vanity of of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Now, if I didn't have any other Bible verses, and I just pulled those two verses out, what do you think it would mean? I mean, life is absolutely pointless. And to pause on this for a moment, this is where we, this is a bit of an extreme example, but this is a good one to remind us, when you read the Bible, you can't just grab a verse 
think, oh, this is what it sounds like it means in that one moment, and rip it out of context and say this is, because clearly the Bible doesn't say life is meaningless, right? You know that's not true, but that doesn't mean you can take a verse like this and rip it out of its context. Because I don't think, and hopefully you don't think either, uh, that life is supposed to be pointless after this. Right? That's not his point. He's bringing up the question. Let me press it a little bit further, and I'll, I'll get to this in a moment, but I want to talk about theme. So not only do I want you to think in terms of, as I read this book, I want to read it in the context of the whole argument. That's why we're going to have to look at the whole thing together, and as we piece it together, we'll be able to see exactly how it fits. I want to talk about theme, and what I mean by, by this is, even press it further, is thematic statements. I want you to think about, as you read books of the Bible, the authors of many of the books of the Bible give you thematic statements that work like a key that unlocks the whole book. And so you should be asking when you're going through in your quiet time or you're reading through a particular book of the Bible, you ought to be asking, where are these key thematic verses that help me see the whole book of the Bible? Let me give you a couple of examples that may be helpful for you to see it, and then I'll come back to Ecclesiastes to show them to you here. John chapter 20, verse 31. What is the point of all of the Gospels? He says this, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But he says here, listen to this. He said, these are written. So when he writes the book of John, he says, these are written, and look at the purpose. So you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, meaning he's the chosen Messiah. Not only the Christ, you might believe he is the Son of God. He is God's Son. And, but not just believe those things, so that by believing you may have life in his name. So what's the purpose John wrote the whole book? So you would see Jesus is God's chosen one so that he is his son, and in that you might place your faith in him and be saved. Whole book, that's the whole point of the book of John. So every time you open up to the book of John and read any story that he wrote, this was his point. It's the key that unlocks the whole book. John told you his point. For example, we're, we're studying through the book of Romans right now, right? What's the theme verse of the book of Romans? Anybody know? Romans 1, 16, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. He's about to spend all these chapters talking about the gospel. For it is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. Think of first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Think about how much we've talked about that for chapters upon chapters. Because in those moments, 16 and 17 of Romans 1. What about the book of Acts? That's good. Acts 1.8 is the one I'm thinking about. So you think, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Think about what happens in the book. He outlines the entire book right there in Acts 1.8. These are thematic verses that hold the whole thing together. Now, in particular, I want to start narrowing down on Ecclesiastes. This book works more in bookended fashion. I just gave you like 
one key verse. I want to show you how this wisdom-type literature bookends the thinking. Let's, look at the, let's think about the book of Job first. Job begins with a question and ends with the answer. Here's what I mean. All these bad things happen to Job, and the question is why? And then it doesn't get till 42, at the very end, when God answers, and then that tells you how to read everything before. So sometimes we think it's going to, we're going to see on the front end everything we need to know, but in fact, oftentimes you learn something at the very end that helps you see the entire book. So, I'll give you one verse out of the book of Job that I think is particularly helpful like this. Uh, Job 42.7, because the whole, the whole thing's this confusing argument. Because sometimes I feel the same way in the book of Ecclesiastes, I feel the same way in the middle of Job. Anybody else feel this way at all? When they're arguing back and forth, it's like, what is his point? Is he right? When he said this about Job, is that right? Or I get confused, because sometimes I think they're saying something that sounds right, and I say, is this right? Well, God clears it up in Job 42, verse 7. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So God comes at the end and just wipes everything they said off the table. Here's my point. How do you read all of those previous chapters? Job 42.7 is the key, the code, that tells you how to read everything previous. The, the author helps you see it. So when you're picking up these books of the Bible, there is a, there's a genuine intent behind what the author is trying to say, and they're not trying to trick you. They're putting these clues in the books to tell you exactly what they're trying to say. So the reason I do that big build-up because I want to show you in Ecclesiastes particularly how it works. And in fact, I want to set it up, because I'm not going to finish what the point of it here is. The whole point is that there it is bookended from the very beginning and the very end, and this will be what the pastor deals with next week. So I, I'm going to try not to take his lesson for right now, and if I, he repeats me, just act interested next next week. So... But if you look at Ecclesiastes 1, it, it opens this question about, is everything, I read 2 and 3 there, is everything just a waste? What is the meaning of life? Right? And pastor will unpack chapter 1. He'll spend a lot of time on that next week. He kept telling, I was talking to him about this earlier today. He said, now don't be promising I'm going to do all this stuff. It means i got to do it. But at the end, so you see that, Answer, you see the beginning, if you flip all the way to Ecclesiastes 12, verse, I'll just do verse 13, there's several verses here, I just want to read these two verses. He says, but the end of the matter, all has been heard. So, do you get the sense now? All of the debate, everything that's happened up to this point, he says, but look, we're shutting all that down. Here's the end of the matter. So, so you need to take these couple of verses 
and read back into the rest of it. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So, so my point here, next week what the pastor will do, oh, I think he'll do, is that we'll do the first few verses and the last few to frame the book. Instead of just doing chapter 1, it's going to be helpful to see both sections together and it will frame out everything in the middle. So here, the reason I say all of that is look for thematic statements as you read these books. It's helpful to know where they exist. If you have a good study Bible, oftentimes they'll take you, if you just read the introduction, it'll take you to where these thematic statements are. You'll be able to see it as you interact. In fact, I'd like to take this moment and take you to the last page in your handout. I don't intend to spend forever on this. I do want to talk about it for a moment. Sometimes, I heard this a long time ago, maybe this would be helpful to you, this may be the most helpful thing I say all night. Uh, when I started reading years ago, uh, you know, I'd want to pick up a book, and the first thing I do is I just start on page one, and I read page two, read page three, and so that's just naturally your thought of how to do it. Uh, but I was challenged to start thinking about it differently, and so now, what I'll actually do is open it up, I'll read the table of contents so I understand every bit of where we're going. Sometimes uh, you can even go through, some folks will say, go through and read the first page of every chapter. You know, because a book like this isn't like, a, you know, some sort of fiction novel where you're going to give the ending away, right? So this is one you want to know the whole thing. And so then you go through, maybe you read all the headings, maybe you start to read all the, the, the chapters, and then you go all the way through read the last chapter, and all of a sudden you have this framework in your mind before you ever start reading the first page. I think we could benefit from that as we read books of the Bible. We just pick them up and we start reading verse 1 and we have no idea where we're at in the book. And so what I'd like to do here just for a short, mo short moment is look at this outline. I'll walk you through it. It may be helpful to us. Notice again here, uh, Roman numeral 1, introduction and theme, and Roman numeral 5, which somehow this tab got messed up, so I apologize. Because that, no, oh no, Roman numeral 10, you see it at the bottom. Final conclusion and epilogue. So you, you get a sense these are bookends on the page. So this shouldn't be all tabbed over, so I apologize. Uh, but you can see there, Roman numeral 1 and 10 all are like mirrored. Notice a couple other things here. Notice how there's a first catalog of vanities. So there'll be a list of vanities we go through from 1.4 all the way to 2.26. Vanity of the natural world, wisdom, pleasures, uh, more vanity of wisdom, and then labor. So there'll be a whole section we give a list there. Notice there'll be a second catalog in chapters 3 and 4. So you know, there'll be two different times they're going to catalog exactly what the vanities are. Then he moves to this life under the sun, injustice and greed. Then he does more life under the sun. So there's all these things he's talking about, he observes. But even notice here, there's these pauses. Poem about a time for everything and a fear of the sovereign one. Then he goes back to the catalog of vanities. Then he pauses there at five, looks at the fear of God and holy righteousness. Then he goes back to looking at life under the sun. Then he pauses for the heart of the problem being sin. Then he goes back to life under the sun. 
Do you see that in the outline there? There'll be one short bullet. And it's because, if I can take you through the outline here, he's keeping the argument in front of you. Every time one of those little pauses comes out, that's him bringing the argument along. He takes these, almost like an off-ramp, and talks all about the vanities, but he doesn't want you to forget about what he's working on here. He's pressing it through as you look at each one of these pauses. In fact, I wrote this down earlier. There's oftentimes he'll say, so I turned to consider. He'll say, then I saw. Again, I saw. So these are markers for us to pause and to think through the argument. Again, this gives you an idea of where you are at in the entire book. This is I, I just pulled this from uh, the ESV study Bible's outline they put in the front. Th this can be helpful to you. I, whatever study Bible you have or wherever you might be able to pull this, before you start reading it in your quiet time, pause to get a sense of where you are at in the big scheme of things. So you know where you're at on the map. I talked to somebody years ago, forget the conversation we had, they had picked up, forget where I said this, so if I repeat myself, my wife says I repeat myself fairly often, so I apologize. Uh, but I'll say it again. Uh, we were, they were reading through the Bible, and they had picked up the, the plan. It's not the chronological plan, but it's the McShane plan. And you start in Genesis. I think you start in Ezra, Matthew, and Acts. And they didn't really have a good sense of the Bible. They, they'd never read through the Bible. It was their first time picking up. And they were thoroughly confused. Right, Because they didn't know they were dropped in the middle of Ezra. You know, think of the story of Ezra, the creation in Genesis, Matthew 1, the chronology of Jesus, and Acts 1, the early church. And so they had no idea where they were at. So my point is to say it really helps to know where you're at. So use an outline, look at the big picture of a book. Can be helpful, particularly in a book like this. So I, I thought it'd be good before we start, because each week we might be driving down at one of these things. You know, you come back next week, we're going to hit the bookends of the book. You know, we're in chapter 1 and chapter 12. So you get a sense of where we're at. Okay, next up, I want to spend a moment on genre. I'll pause here. I know tonight, maybe you... Maybe you don't feel this way. I feel a little bit this way. This is a little dry to me. Uh, normally I like to have some part that's devotional and encouraging to you or some part that spiritually maybe you've had a hard day. I want to take the Bible and encourage you. I know tonight's a little dry. I promise it'll pick up next week because we'll have a little bit more with the Bible. But the prep's always a little bit dry. So hang with us. But let me talk about the genre for a minute. In other words, it's important to know what you are reading. So, for example, earlier, when you read... Matthew 28, the 19 and 20, when he says, when he sends, you, when he sends us out, says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. I, I, don't, I know that is a direct command, and every single word that is written there, I must do. Right? But then when I read Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, and he says, all of life is a waste, I don't take that and think, I have to do everything written in Ecclesiastes 1-2, right? Why? Because I'm reading a different genre of literature. I understand there's something different going on. So let me speak about three basic genres that come together in Ecclesiastes. 
It's not as simple sometimes as one. The basic building block is a proverb. It's not this simple because proverbs are, simp- are short statements, but these are statements that are made that give short statements of wisdom. What's interesting about proverbs is that most proverbs bring general truth, but they assume exceptions. So in other words, this is where sometimes you guys get in the Proverbs and you read one and you think, well, that's certainly not always true. Well, the author knew it wasn't always true, but there is wisdom behind the general concept. So don't be bothered if there's an exception to a proverb. The example I like to give here is the, I didn't bring it in tonight, but there's two Proverbs that directly repeat themselves. It's the exact same thing twice in a row. And so how is it they say the same two things? It's making a point between the two contrasting against each other. So in other words, there are exceptions to each one as you read. Now, there are some Proverbs that have no exceptions. I would say at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, when he says, fear God and keep His commandments, I don't think there's a lot of exceptions to fearing God and keeping His commandments. I think it's pretty much always true. We should always fear God and we should always keep His commandments, right? So we don't think that one has exceptions. But we also understand that as sin enters the world and as life gets messed up by sin, there's some level of meaninglessness that comes about because of sin. There's a level at which we're going to look at at Ecclesiastes 1 and go, oh yeah, I kind of see some of that now. So the question comes is what is the author trying to say to us through this text? That's why it's so important to ask that question. And oftentimes it takes the complexity of life is only conveyed through some of these more creative forms of literature. So I'll talk about Proverbs for a minute. Let me talk about poetry. So one of the things that, if you're starting to think base building block of this book is Proverbs, but on top of that, it's been done in these poetic forms. I mean, it's a beautiful book. You know, John and I were talking about, before we started, about the, uh, the everything change or the bird song. If anybody's familiar with it, there's a time for everything. He said he's, he's ready, queuing it up to sing one Wednesday night for us. Right, John? So, but there's a sense at which the beauty of the poetry gets transferred into a, a song. I mean, th- there, there is a sense of beauty in the language that's been given to, even to how that first couple of verses opened up. It was very poetic, right? And so, as it's done, here's what I want you to think about. This book is meant to elicit meditation as you hear it. It's meant to make you think. So, so it is taking you through a journey, and he's saying, consider with me. See, look. And he carries through this thinking journey. And so you want to try to say, what is it that the author is wanting me to think about right now? What am I supposed to be thinking on in these moments? And to press that one step further, it's a fairly emotive book. Meaning that it's desiring to connect to particular moods and emotions. I mean, if we're all honest for a minute, on our worst day, when everything's not going right, and it's cloudy, and we're in our most depressive mood, there's a level we can look at the first chapter of Ecclesiastes and go, yeah, I get it, right? There's no point in any of this stuff. 
I mean, on your worst, worst, most depressive day, you feel that, right? I mean, even the best parts of your life, you're just looking at it thinking, ah, there's no point in that. Why do I even bother? Like, there's a level at which you can relate to the emotion found there in the first chapter. So as you read it, take the journey. Hear the emotion. Hear the thinking that you'll walk through the book with. So that's the proverb at base level, the poetry that brings about the emotion of the book. And then finally, I want to hit on the idea of lament. Most of you know the word from the book of Lamentations, but a lament is found outside of Lamentations. There'll be psalms of lament. These aren't emotional outbursts, but they are a formal expression of grief in a high literary style. Not just some rant. This is a formal, thought-out expression of grief and struggle. Probably something we don't think enough about in our own lives of expressing our struggles and our grief. To formally lay out the struggle and lament of life. The struggle against sin and where we sit. So, put them all together there. You've got uh, lament with poetry and Proverbs, all found in this beautiful book of Ecclesiastes. And it's done in this responsive, thoughtful, kind of back and forth thinking style. And it'll begin with the big question and end with this answer. I'll give you a couple more things. The last one I want to talk about is the title. I won't spend long on it. All I'll simply say is Ecclesiastes sounds, it's actually the English title, uh, but it's rooted in uh, a Latin word or really going back to the idea of the ecclesia or the gathering ones, which is those who are gathered to hear a preacher. Or all the way back to the Hebrew word kahal, which is the assembled ones. So Old Testament kahal, New Testament ecclesia is the assembly of the believers. And so when you hear this word preacher, just to carry it all the way through, when he says preacher, he's actually speaking about one who is teaching to an assembly to hear this message. So these are all thinking of a group of people looking for the meaning of life and all pressing into that so that they may find it out of this answer. Now I want to give one last thing, and it may be a repeat between now and next week, but I, I do at least want to say it. I didn't have it on the notes, but I, I wanted to pause on it and point to how to read Ecclesiastes. And this was the most revolutionary to me, and hopefully the pastor will talk about it more next week as well. But, but the book of Ecclesiastes is only ever rightly understood when you know the Lord Jesus is the full answer to it. There's a level when I, when I was reading it, over the, when I first read it, I got to the end, and in chapter 12, the end, it says the end of this matter, it, while be it feeling profound, it feels lacking. Well, I'm supposed to obey God and keep, my, keep His commandments. Well, well, at this point, I can't do that. I need someone who can help me do that. 
And, and so you start looking, and we'll do this several times throughout it, and you think, there's nothing new under the sun. And then you get to the New Testament, you read 2 Corinthians 5, and he says, everyone who is in Christ is now a new creation. So there's this answer to the hopelessness of it is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I hope, and as we press through it, and we'll try to do it, I think, as we go through each portion of it, but the book of Ecclesiastes only fully makes sense in the context of the entire Bible. That when you see the hopelessness of sin and where it leads, it should push you right into the New Testament and right to the Lord Jesus. You say, He is ultimately the one who has feared God and kept His commandments and will be able to carry us through the judgment. So that's a part of how we'll conclude with it. So let me go to the Lord in prayer. Hopefully this prepares us for a good semester of looking at Ecclesiastes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great hope to be found in Christ. Lord, we thank you for the honesty of your word. And Lord, as we read over these pages in this book, may we find some sort of connection to our struggles through this life. Places we may have walked before we found you. Temptations we may face in the world to wander off from you. And to be reminded, Lord, that everything in this world is vanity, except for you. Push our hearts toward you so that we might find our great hope in you. Because God, only found in the Lord Jesus Christ is a new purpose and a new hope. And so, Lord, use this book to encourage us, use it to strengthen us, and may we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.